In the premortal life, a covenant was struck between God and his children. There was a compact with God the Father, God the Redeemer, and God the Testator, working in concert to fulfill an ancient covenant with the children of men. Somewhere along the way, those covenants were lost, forgotten, changed, or broken, to the point that when Joseph Smith is restoring the gospel, he is told that the ancient covenant has been broken. Later, we are told that the Book of Mormon becomes the new covenant. How exactly does that work? In what way is the Book of Mormon the answer, the restored covenant to the children of Israel, to the people of Israel, and to those of us of spiritual Israel? The answer is also found as Nephi explains all of this to his brothers. Join us today for Nephi and the Broken Covenant, and let's explore what it is that God was really trying to do with Israel and with his children. Welcome to the Hidden Treasures podcast, where we explore the rich doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Drawing on both inspired teachings and the latest research, we examine closely the revealed scriptures of the Restoration. Of course, opinions expressed do not constitute official pronouncements of the Church or its leaders. These classes are recorded live and taught by Kevin Hinckley. Thank you for taking a moment to subscribe and leave us a comment. And now, on to today's class. So as, as we start today's class, uh, I realized as I was putting this together, um, if, if, I could, if I could do the, this whole semester over again, I would have started with this class. Uh, because in some ways, this becomes the foundational class for and the f foundational understanding of what is the purpose of the Book of Mormon? Why do we have the Book of Mormon in the first place? And we have to be able to take a far enough step back to say that the Book of Mormon is one of the Lord's tools to do certain things. But in the same way that if we have a hammer, we don't use it to screw down a bolt, the Book of Mormon is a tool to do certain things, and it's not a tool to do other things. We have other tools for other things. So part of what we're going to want to be able to look at, like for instance, with the Book of Mormon, if you're wondering about what happens after this life into the eternities, the Book of Mormon is not the tool for that. It was never designed to be the tool for the, the understanding of the eternities. We have the Doctrine and Covenants, we have General Conference, we have Pearl of Great Pride, we have other tools that accomplish other things. The Book of Mormon has some specific, is a specific tool for a specific thing. And that's what we're gonna kind of talk about today, and specifically why it is that it's a new covenant. Okay? So near the near the end of his life, about two months before he dies, 
as we know, Joseph Smith delivers his magnum opus talk. You know, the King Follett discourse. And it's got all of, you know, it's like, wow, what is, it, what is it, all of this? He's bringing everything together about kind of what he knows. And what he says in that, in that setting is this. He's, gonna, he's going to uh, set this forward. Uh, God himself, finding that he was in the midst of spirits and glories because he was more intelligent, saw proper to institute laws whereby the rest uh, around him could have the privilege to advance like himself. Well, what that's, what that's going to say, um, I just had an interesting conversation. Uh, I'll just share just, just, just now. We... Cindy and I took a, uh, a non-member with us to the uh, MCO concert uh, Saturday night. And she loves music. This blew her away. From the very first moment, she watched all of these kids and all these people file in and testify about Christ all the way through. And she was just... So she came into my office just before I came over here and she said... Can we talk theology for a minute? She said, that was the most, I have never seen anything like that. I've never experienced anything. What was that? And what is there about your theology that is different from mine? Because she says, we always talk, she and I talk a lot about Christ and certain New Testament scholars that we both love. But she says, there was something different here. This was amazing. And she wants, so tell me about theology and how things work. And we started talking and, and one of the things that, that I was just sharing with her was that we believe that, that Christian history doesn't, believe, doesn't begin in the Garden of Eden. That there is a pre-mortal life here where there were covenants and promises that were made. And stuff that she's never really kind of heard. And, and so we get this moment that Joseph is talking about. Where God finds himself uh, in the midst of others. The relationship we have with God places us in a situation to advance in knowledge. He has power to institute laws to instruct the weaker intelligences that they may be exalted like himself. So think about what happens in that premortal council. Understanding that there has to be, in order for these intelligences to become more like our heavenly parents, we had to have an educating experience, mortality, but we also had to rely heavily on a covenant, on a promise. And so what we get is this promise made by uh, God, the, God the Father, Creator, God the Redeemer, and God the Testator. That these three, the Creator, the Redeemer and the Testator would make a covenant with us that they would provide us with all the tools and everything that we would need while we're going through this, through this college educating experience to be able to return and to become like Him. Okay? Uh, and and it's, this, it's this covenant that, be, that sits at the core of everything that we do. And, and what we're going to talk about is the Book of Mormon is key to this covenant. It's, it's absolute, it is the tool that turns this. Uh, so, that, so that they might have glory upon another and all the knowledge, power, glory, and intelligence that is requisite in order to save them in the world of spirits. 
And it required a, a covenant and a promise and a fulfillment of that promise. Okay? So, as we, as we look at that then, uh, Professor Givens at BYU adds this. God made every necessary provision from before the foundation of this world so that every spirit in the world could be ferreted out and saved if they would. That possibility option will be open to them, right? That was the everlasting covenant outlined in heaven, subscribed to by all who would enter mortality and celebrated by all the sons and daughters of God who when we realized what was being said and what was being done, we shouted for joy. It was just so amazing, okay? These provisions included the ordinances that would be employed to seal, and I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that word a little bit today in a variety of ways, okay? Sealing, is, it was kind of that 19th century understanding of how things would work. I think, I think we understand what's actually better if we use the word reconcile. Because what's happening is a reconciliation. We're being reconciled together. I, I would believe that if we walk into the temple, and the most, in, some, in many ways the most sacred room in, in the temple is the reconciling room. <laughs> it is the sealing room where we are reconciled with our family, but we're also reconciled ultimately with God. We're brought into that family, that divine family. Our family is being reconciled with the divine family. Does that make sense? Okay. And again, Book of Mormon's key to this. Right? So, so along the way, then, if this sounds like one of those really great kind of things, then how did this idea get lost? Because I'm not saying anything to you you haven't heard before. Okay, we understand it intrinsically. Um, now, here, here's what. The, the patriarchs, Adam, Noah, you know, and then obviously Abraham and Moses, they had a knowledge of a pre-existent plan. Did they not? Okay. They had a knowledge of God's eternal covenant from all the way back to that council in heaven. They understood that. They knew that. They were, and they taught it. They believed it. They had an understanding of Israel's covenant relationship, the role that Israel would play in the, the rolling forth of this covenant. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're going to change the word feeling to uh, reconciling, oh, yeah. I'd like to change the word lost to hidden. Oh, I like that too. I like that, because it is, it's there. That makes perfect sense, okay? Understanding of Israel's covenant relationship. An understanding of the, the family of Israel, their specific responsibility to the rest of the world. They had a responsibility. They understood that, what they were supposed to do. They also had an understanding of eternal life and eternal increase. Okay? Now, any, any surprises here so far? No, no. Okay? We should get this. And they also had an understanding of a promised location that would be given to Israel. 
that they would have, this land would be deeded to them to be a, a land of inheritance for them. Because we always talk about the promises of Abraham, right? Of land, of priesthood, of eternal increase. Well, they understood those, but they also understood a promised location. So again, and I like the language, what was, what was hidden then, if we, if we now look as the Hebrew Bible is being assembled and it's made its way through, first of all, the, the uh, whatever remaining scrolls and things were available to them, and then it's going through the writing process while they're in Babylon, and they're sorting through stuff and they're writing stuff, and then we're going to get into the post-Babylon period of time where the Greeks are in charge and they're writing the Septuagint and they're put it, trying to compile all of this stuff together and they're translating and everything. Notice what comes at when the dust settles and Jesus shows up on the scene in the first century. Notice what their understanding now was. How much of it was actually hidden from them by the time we get to the first century when Jesus is there. Okay? <clears throat> How much of this do they now have? How much has now been hidden away? What plain and precious truths are there? Well, not much, right? Well, they have a partial understanding of Israel's covenant relationship. But if you're going to talk to a Jew in the first century and you're going to say, What's your who are the Jewish people? What would they say? Well, yeah, what, what, what would, how would they describe themselves? We're the children of Moses. We are the covenant people. God has chosen us over every other people to be us. <laughs> okay? We are us. We're the covenant people. The Gentiles, the Jews, the, the, all those guys, the Greeks, they foul our land when they show up. We are who we are. This is, it, it, we're, we are to be the children. And, and we, okay, we are who we are. Okay? They have that and they have an understanding of the promised location. And the land's ours. We're the chosen people, and this is our land. Period. Now, if they read Isaiah, Isaiah with some modern understanding is telling them that they're far more than that. But they're, but they're caught up at that moment, and some of the battles that Jesus has with them, is, is, uh, is this, we're the covenant people and, and we got the land and you don't. And we're supposed to take it from the Canaanites. We did. It, God gave it to us. It's ours. That's the way it works. Okay? Yeah. So I think, to me, the promised land is this earth. Uh-huh. That uh, when we get to the end, all those who have embraced the covenant become the house of Israel and inherit. The oh, sure. Yeah, but you know that because of restored knowledge and understanding, right? Right. Right. But, but it's not just Palestine. I think Palestine was kind of a symbolic location for people who needed to have a focus on a location, location. Oh, sure. But, but really, when, when the Lord says, if you keep my commandments, you'll prosper in the land, what he's saying is, if you keep my commandments, you will be successful in your second estate. And this land will be a benefit to you. Right. And you'll receive all the blessings when you move on through the veil. Now, but think about, think about the moment, though, when, when Lehi is turning to Laman and Lemuel, who are very much Deuteronomists. They, they're very invested in this view of things. And Lehi says, 
I have received from the Lord, we're supposed to go into the wilderness, and I have received a, a promised land. And they would say, oh, that's Jerusalem. <laughs> that, you know, what do you mean a promised land? This is, we're, we're Israelites. We're, it's there, not somewhere else. That makes no sense. Because there's only one place for the temple. There's only going to be one temple. It's on top of Mount Moriah, and it's in Jerusalem, and we're supposed to be there. That's the promised land. Don't be, give us other language about other promised lands, because there ain't other promised lands, because this is it. That's why it's a confusing kind of thing for the Lord to say, you know, there's an, a promised land can be what I give you. A promised land can be what I designate a place for you to be able to gather to. Really a state of mind. It is, and, and so it's it's movable. It's a movable location. And but if you're caught in this mentality, man, that's a big hurdle to, to climb over the top. That's really, really hard. Yeah. You know, I don't know that this will take us off course, but as I was sitting here, I th I see those, and this side is all about spiritual things. We know that things were created first spiritually. And <laughs> yeah. And this side is so satanic. It's very. It's very temporal. It's very, it's very limiting, right? Yeah. And this is all about becoming more of who we really are, which is God's children. Yeah, I, I, in my conversation with my, uh, with my uh, colleague uh, just a little while ago, and we talked about sola scriptura, where, where we believe that the, the uh, knowledge, and all the knowledge and authority and everything comes from the Bible, and you can't get it from anywhere else. And I said, they've, they painted themselves into a corner that you can't get outside of that thing because your vision is so narrow. Well, what, what part of what was hidden was all the facts of how it's, it's much more expansive, much more beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, so the other thing is, is that we look at this definition of a promised land that's choice above all others. And if we have the temporal definition, then we want the fertile, you know, the great. But if you look in the, in the parables of, of the vineyards and such, Sometimes the choice land was really rotten. Oh, it's bad. In, in fact, and, and it does say that in Jacob 5, doesn't it? He says, we were placed land that was less choice than the others. Okay. Oh, yeah, sometimes it's kind of a deserty kind of thing. I would imagine those first pioneers that were sent out to Delta or Tooele had to go... Well, the, the Lord of the Vineyard was challenged on why are you putting this here? This is rotten ground. And he says, it's not rotten ground. Yeah. It, it, the, the fruit will thrive. That's right. And the, and the desert can blossom like a rose. If, if it, but, but if your understanding is here, then, then and, and, and by the way, the boys, Laman and Lemuel, are about to get an even a bigger, massive shock. And we'll, we'll talk about that uh, towards the end. Okay, so. That, that's, that's kind of what was hidden here. Now, it gets further lost. It gets further lost now because th that understanding was there. Now as we roll into the Middle Ages, oh, it gets worse. Oh, it gets, it gets worse. And because now the, their understanding of what Jesus did and what Israel's role was in all of this gets convoluted. Um, The belief then is in traditional Christianity is that there was an old, the Old Testament really means the Old Covenant. That when, they, when the term is used, Old Testament, they really mean Old Covenant, meaning the old one, <laughs> the one that's not needed anymore. That's the old one. 
That's why you'll see sometimes, especially LDS scholars, are tending to use the term for the Old Testament as the Hebrew Bible. Because Hebrew Bible means this is their, the Bible as opposed to the Old Covenant that no longer applies. Okay? So the, uh, that Old Covenant was that the Garden of Eden was a failure. Boy, that one stunk. That, boy, we could have had a really nice place. Garden of Eden was a failure. And by the way, God's, God's conflicting commandments don't make any sense to us. That, that's kind of a weird kind of thing. Okay? So again, if you're, if, you're in the, if you're a Christian in the 11th century, 12th century, last year, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get the, this kind of an understanding that that old covenant was a, was a gospel of works. It was based on the law of Moses. It's about earning your way into heaven. You've got to keep all the laws. That the Jews actually were the covenant people with the emphasis on were. They, boy, did they blow it. Why? Because they failed to accept Jesus when he came, and because of their unrighteousness, they were scattered. And when they did that, they were all damned. Because Israel is saved as a tribe, or it fails as a tribe. And they failed. That's why I was, I was thinking uh, our... Uh, our guide in Israel uh, is, is a guy that I really come to love quite a bit. And I finally teased out of him his family. He grew up, he grew up a Hasidic Jew. He's, he's, not, he's not super Orthodox now, but he grew up a Hasidic Jew. And his dad was at Auschwitz. His dad survived Auschwitz, but would never talk about it. And it took him years to tease out of his dad the story of what he went through at Auschwitz in the concentration camps. And I thought, and you know what? This covenant theology teaches that the Jews that died at Auschwitz in the gas chambers went from there straight to hell. They went from, they went from Hitler's gas chambers to hell because they never accepted Jesus. They killed Jesus. Huh? They killed Jesus. Yeah, they killed Jesus. And so... So th th that's, that's where, and we've, we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about supersessionism. It means that they failed all the way. So, so the, the new understanding then, that New Testament, that new covenant, that so many Christian faiths ended up believing then, was that the resurrection actually kind of restored Eden's mistake. That salvation, instead of salvation of works, is salvation of grace under Jesus. That Christians are now the covenant people. They, they dropped the ball, we picked it up. How about that? Okay? So, but, it, but in, in doing that, especially when we get under Augustine and Justinian and all of those, they do an interesting thing. And suddenly now... 
Christians are saved as individuals. It's your job to get you saved. But, but the covenant that they want us to make is that I accept being saved. Yes. Yes, I'm going to be saved, but it's me. But all I have to do is just say, okay, yeah, thank you, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, because it's by grace. You can't do anything, anything that may smack of even ordinances or for a lot of groups, even that baptism might be essential. Oh, that's, that's salvation by works. That's a requirement thing, and God is about grace. So anything that would look like you've got to do something doesn't work. Okay? Uh, and in fact, Calvin and, and uh, Luther went kind of further about saying God gets to decide who gets saved and who doesn't. But it's an individual thing. Now, as you pull back, think about what we believe through the restored gospel. Think about what Joseph Smith restored to the world. Is it A or is it B? Are we saved as a family or individuals? Families. There you go. In other words, we have this con we have this concept that now begins to collapse both of these, right? That's the understanding. That, in a sense, it's not an all or nothing. It is a combination of our individual righteousness and the things that we need to do, but exaltation comes as a family. That's why I would change, if it was up to me, I would change the room in the temple to the, the, the uh, reconciliation room. This is where I was worthy to enter the temple, but I'm reconciled to my family, and my family is now reconciled to the eternal family. I like the family room because that's it's 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 about it's about saving our whole tribe. But see, there's a lot of Latter Day Saints that believe that uh, you know we can't be made perfect without our our family, and they yeah. can't be made perfect without us. And they extend that to the point where they think that if Lincoln and Lemuel don't repent, yeah. that uh, that Lehi will save Lincoln and Lemuel in exaltation because. He has to have Laman and Lemuel to be perfect. He doesn't need Laman yeah. and Lemuel. He needs a family. That's right. And, and, and it's our understanding when we start putting all of this together. That's why I say it changes the dynamics. And again, guys, the Book of Mormon is the key because it gives us a blueprint. This is, the Book of Mormon is the tool to teach us kind of this combo of how this works. Okay? So that's why I say I've got, I've got my ceiling room or my room of reconciliation um, uh, I, I've mentioned before that uh, one of the last times I cleaned the temple, you know, and they gave me a vacuum, and it's like go vacuum the whole place, and I and I go into the ceiling room, and I go, and I'm in there all by myself, and I and I actually offer a little prayer. It's like I'm so sorry, Lord, I don't want to interrupt what the sacredness of this room. And by the way, I don't see any lint, and I don't see any. I'm not sure what it is I'm vacuuming. It's a pretty clean place. Uh, but at the same time, um, it, it, is, it is the place where it, we, we, call the, we call the main room, kind of celestial room and stuff like that. This really becomes the holy of all holiest. This is, this is where the connections actually occur, right? So, Kevin? yeah, yeah. The Old Testament versus the New Testament. Because in the Quran, 
They acknowledge Moses as a prophet of the God of Abraham. Yeah, they do. And they hold the Jews accountable for being obedient to the law that was delivered to them by the God of Abraham through Moses. And they don't have any problem with Jews who keep that law. They have a problem with Jews who violate the law. Yeah. And they don't have any problem with Christians who keep the covenant that was delivered through Jesus because they recognize Jesus as a prophet of the God of Abraham. But they have a problem with people who say they're Christian and don't keep the law that was delivered by Christ. And then they say for themselves, they are Arab and God sent Muhammad right. to deliver to them the instructions they need as a people and they hold themselves accountable to him. Yeah. So when they came and they conquered Jerusalem, they say, the people of the book. It is the people of the book. And the Christians and the Muslims can all live in Jerusalem and in peace and without having to change their religious beliefs. But everybody who's not of those three groups has to either leave or... And yet it's interesting. We had... Uh, our, our group had a, a, uh, a dinner the other night with, uh, with Mahmoud, uh, which we thought was just our bus driver. We're going to have dinner with Mahmoud. Oh, that's nice. Okay. At his house? Really? Okay, he's the bus driver. Okay. Well, no, it turns out Mahmoud owns the buses and the company. It turns out that Mahmoud is actually a Bedouin chieftain. He's got thousands of people that he is over and that he takes care of. He's more like a state president. And, and he and I had several conversations along the way where he said, I just love working with you guys. He says, it just feels familiar. It feels close. It feels... And I said, I need you to know what level of hospitality I know that you were extending to my group by, allow, by inviting us to your home and feeding us a meal. I said, I, I understand. All 70 of us. That, that is the highest level of hospitality in the Near East is that you will be invited to your home and have a meal. Okay. Uh, and then he sent us on our way with bottles of uh, homemade olive oil, okay? And you just get this, and I look at somebody like him and I say, how long would it take in the eternities? Give him a little bit of knowledge and understanding. And, and he may be ahead of me in terms of where he is and his devotion and stuff like that. Wonder, wonderful, wonderful man, okay? What's that? Did he give you a goat's eye? No, that would have been good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so this is interesting. So, so now we get. So, so we have this understanding, right? So here's Joseph Smith organizing, and and the church is being restored to him, which is okay. So we get to section one, and I thought this was fascinating. Section one. For they have strayed from mine ordinances, and they have broken mine everlasting covenant. We have to think about who's the they and what covenant was broken. In other words, the Christian sects at the time, how had they broken? What covenant? There's, there's some questions here. Okay? And notice that then, then the Lord says, Wherefore, I the Lord, knowing the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant Joseph Smith Jr. and spake unto him from heaven and gave unto him commandments. Why? 
that mine everlasting covenant might be established. He's saying something's broken. I made a covenant and that covenant has been broken. And it's up to Joseph Smith and to this church to somehow restore the covenant. Whoa. Uh, I mean, I was very aware as we're standing in the, uh, in the Orson Hyde garden thinking the chutzpah of Joseph Smith in the middle of everything going on over here. He's going to send a guy all the way over to Israel to, to bless it for the return of Jews. Well, that takes some chutzpah. Okay, yeah. Right. But you can see, you can see that, and that plays into this perfectly. That's right. Especially again, if we go back to the fact, uh, we may be, we may have some salvation as individuals, but in the end of the, but, but the celestial kingdom is about relationships. Nobody's hanging out in the celestial kingdom all on their own. Some. The celestial kingdom is about relationships, and anything that's going to. Get in the way of relationships is going to, that's breaking of covenants different than the way that the Lord set it up in, in, in uh, that, those first councils in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, so I find it interesting what you just said about the celestial kingdom being about relationships and us recognizing that we are, we are saved as, as a family and we're knit together as a family. And there's so many people that think that when they get exalted, they're going to be autonomous. Um, I, just me. I, I, I did it. I done, I, I done did this thing. Yeah. World, and, and we're not going to have a team of... Yes, yeah, I know. You know. How do they get that idea? I don't know. But I, I think sometimes I think but, sometimes we get some of this stuff, and I think it's some kind of old Christianity that sometimes creeps into our thinking. Uh, by the way, I do think, and this is just my own belief, that some of that, I believe, came from the obedience 80s. <laughs> where we had so much emphasis on obedience, 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 and your own obedience, that, that this idea that we've got to be able to work together as, as families uh, becomes key here. So, so now, now let's talk, so where does the Book of Mormon come in all of this? Isn't it interesting that, the, that in the scriptures, uh, the Lord calls, uh, when, he, when he refers to the Book of Mormon, he's going to say, the church shall, re, shall remain under condemnation, Ezra Taft Benson's favorite scripture, shall remain under this condemnation till they repent and remember the new covenant. Ah, here comes the new covenant. Remember, the old one was broken. This is the new covenant. And then what, what does he say is the new covenant? Ah, they're going to remember the new covenant, which is, na, 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 it's the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It, again, the Book of Mormon is a tool for the right reason, and the Book of Mormon's job was to be a new covenant. And you go, okay, wow. I just thought it was another thing in Scripture. <laughs> okay, so what new covenant are we talking about? How are we doing so far? Are we swimming deep? Where's Kevin going with all of this? <laughs> okay, now, all right. Yeah? yeah. If, if all the past, past 
past prophets knew about the correct covenant, maybe that's not true. Yeah. Is it really new? It's just that we haven't been living in or didn't know that? That's a great question. She says, if, if they all knew about it, what makes it so new isn't like the restored covenant or the now not hidden covenant or something like that. It is and it isn't. Certainly there are some things... It, in some ways, when we talk about the restoration of the gospel, uh, the restoration of the church, that's, in some ways that's sometimes a misnomer. There are certainly things that have been restored. Meaning, Polly Pratt used to say, there is no new thing, there's only the old thing. He just What the people wanted in that first century, or that first generation of the church was, we want Jesus' church, that we're going to walk forward and we're going to reestablish it. It'll be the same church as it was here, as it was there. Okay? And it ain't. <laughs> what we have, if, if we listen to President Nelson when he talks about the ongoing restoration, we're talking about things that are being created and done that have never existed in this form before. And I'll give you an example. One of them is we want. The king, we want Solomon's temple and we want Herod's temple to be the Dallas temple. <laughs> we want it to function the same ways. We want to be able to go into Herod's temple and find the endowment room and we want to find the initiatories. You know, we want it to be the new. We want it to be exactly the same. And it's not. And so in some ways, restoration is a little bit of a misnomer. Priesthood keys have been restored. Knowledge has been restored. But the way that we organize is far beyond anything that's ever existed before. Yeah. So for me, the first covenant we made was after we became acquainted with God. And he covenanted to be our father and we covenanted to be his children. We became spirit children. That's right. By adoption at that point. Then we, we uh, go to the next covenant we make where we covenant that we're going to come to this earth. And I hate that people think we're here to be tested. I know that. I, me too. To me, me too. But this earth is a preparatory. It's an educating state. experience. That's right. And a preparatory state ends at the end. And the end has been defined in the scriptures as the resurrection and the final judgment. So from the time we're born until the final judgment, that is our time to prepare to meet God. And, and that's now, that's we've had two covenants we made with God before we're born. Now we're here in this, this estate, and we make that third covenant. That's our new covenant. And it doesn't matter the mechanics. It doesn't matter whether God gave us the, the ordinances that we have in the temple today or whether we have the ordinances from 1968, or whether we have the ordinances from, from the temple in Jerusalem, we make a covenant to be God's people. That's right. And, and to give ourselves to God. And that's the new covenant. And how it's worded only matters in the fact that we word it the way God told us to word it. And, but, but hold on to that, because again, the Book of Mormon is going to add one more covenant to that that is outside of that. Yeah, go ahead. So there's... Talk about a new and everlasting covenant. I think from yeah. the perspective of the Lord, the covenant is everlasting. He never violates it. And from our perspective, it's a new covenant. And it's good and enforced until we break it. And once we break it, we need to make a new covenant. That's right. And once we break that, we need to make a new covenant. Because we have to have a new covenant enforced when we pass through and are prepared for judgment. 
Okay, so now let's look at what role the Book of Mormon plays in, into this. That's why I say, in some ways, this was, the, this was like the lesson that should have been done at the beginning of the semester. What tool is the Book of Mormon in, and why would the Lord call this specifically the Book of Mormon? A new covenant. There are a lot of new covenants, and there's a specific way in which the Book of Mormon is a new covenant. Okay? Now, let's, let's go back to, uh, this is 1 Nephi 22. And uh, I'm, I'm jumping a little bit ahead. The, uh, the uh, family has made it to Bountiful. Um, <laughs> by the way, one other quick story I'll tell you. Um, we, had a, we had a Jordanian guide. He's actually Catholic, but he, he's kind of lapsed a little bit. But uh, when I was going through all of the places where Lehi's family went on the bus, we're driving along, and I'm showing them, and, you know, and they're coming out of here, and they're coming through Aqaba right at the top of the Red Sea, and they probably camped over here and stuff like that. And I go through this whole process and everything, and we get done, and I sit back down, and... And he says, and, and I'm kind of at the front of the bus, and he's sitting on the little jump seat right in front of me. And down he goes, um, can we talk for a second? Yeah. And so I, I kind of said, so he says, I spend a little bit of time in Salt Lake, so I understand a little bit about you guys, but walk me through again what you just said. And I, and I, and I showed him on a map. I said, we think he's coming in. And he goes, and then they turn it. They come down to Sinai and they turn at Nahum and go down to Babylon. He goes, oh, I know where that is. Yeah, okay, yeah. And he's just, and, and we go through this whole thing. And he goes, oh, this all makes so much sense. And he goes, have you got a Book of Mormon? You got a copy of the Book of Mormon? <laughs> no. He says, that's okay, I can download one. But he says, I said, make sure you read like first Nephi, the first part. Okay, so who's Nephi? And when did they leave Jerusalem and everything? And he was fascinated by this whole thing because it all resonated with him and he says what you're saying is is exactly right it all fits and he's just kind of getting excited so uh, I'm hoping really really a great guy I'm, I'm hoping he he's busy reading before his next LDS group comes through uh, but, but by the way I, I did tell him I said <laughs> I, I, I went to, to Dave who, who runs the tour and he says if he brings up an astrolabe, he got it from me. <laughs> the, the idea of the Lehi, the Lehi anyway, anyway. All right. So, uh, anyway. So, so here's, here's Nephi trying to explain to the brothers who, again, are going, okay, so wait a minute. Remember, these, are, these guys are Deuteronomists in the fact that they believe that only Jerusalem and Israel, they have the old understanding. Okay, and he's reading that, and he goes, okay, Guys, verse 3, hmm, as I read this, he says, it appears that the house of Israel sooner or later will be scattered among the face of the earth and among all nations. Then he's going to go down here. Then he says, uh, at, at the bottom of 5 there, uh, so this is 1 Nephi 22, verse 5, wherefore they shall be scattered among all nations and be hated of all men. Okay? Six, nevertheless, after they have been nursed by the Gentiles and the Lord has lifted up his hand upon the Gentiles and set them up for a standard. Okay, there's two parts here. Uh, it's funny, my, as we're walking through the old city, uh, my, my Jewish guide, Alan, said, uh, how, would you know the, how would you know the British were here? 
How do you know the British had been here? We started looking around. And, and there were two things that we discovered. One was the post boxes are the same. <laughs> the mailboxes are the same you'd get in London. And the other thing, when you have to go to the bathroom, guess where you go? To the WC. <laughs> Which is a very British way of, you know, it's not a restroom, it's a WC. Okay? The British were here. Okay? And they nursed, they nursed Israel. The Balfour Declaration, all that. They actually set this up. They shall be nursed by the Gentiles, but then a specific set of Gentiles. That's physical. Now here comes the spiritual. The Lord has lifted up his hand upon the Gentiles and set them for a standard. Oh, wait a minute, a bit of a standard. And their children have been carried, children of, of Israel, been carried in their arms, and their daughters have been carried. And behold, these things which are spoken are temporal, physical. For thus are the covenants of the Lord with our fathers. We, the Lord made promises to who? First of all, spiritual to us in, in the pre-existence. But who did he make physical promises to? Why would the Jews think the land is theirs? The land goes from Abraham. Because it goes from Abraham. The Lord is saying, I made promises to Abraham that this land would be yours as an inheritance. Okay? Uh, For thus are the covenants of the Lord with our fathers, and it meaneth to us in the days to come, and also our brethren who are the house of Israel. And it meaneth that the time cometh, after the house of Israel had been scattered and confounded, that the Lord will then do something very interesting among the Gentiles. The Lord will raise up a mighty nation among the Gentiles, even upon the face of this land. Okay? So, the, and we're already in the promised land. So, upon this, the, the North American continent, right? On the Gentile among this face of this land, and by them shall our seed be scattered. The, the American nations scattered, Native Americans up here, uh, European nations scattered, uh, South Americans all over the place, okay, happened in a couple of places. Uh, by them shall our seed be scattered, and then an interesting thing happens, he says. And after our seed is scattered, the Lord God will proceed to do an interesting thing, a marvelous work among the Gentiles, which shall be of great worth unto our seed. Wherefore, it is likened, it is likened, it is just like they're being nourished by the Gentiles. So in the same way that European nations had to come in and save the Jews physically and temporally, it's going to say there is a parallel thing spiritually that's going to happen, that there will be outside Gentiles saving Israel to fulfill God's covenant. Cool, right? I know, it's heavy. You guys are doing good so far. <laughs> okay? Okay? All right. Uh, it is likened to them being nursed by the Gentiles. And then look at 9. And it shall be of worth unto the Gentiles, and not only to the Gentiles, but unto the house of Israel, unto, here comes the hidden part, unto the making known of the covenants of the Father unto Abraham, saying, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. That 
what's going to happen here is we're, we're beginning to understand that what is the worth of the, uh, this work for the Gentiles? What's the worth for us as Gentiles in helping Israel? The restoration of the temple ordinance. It's right in the middle of that. Okay. How many, how many in here, by, by raising hands, know what tribe you're from? Through your patriarchal blessing. Whoa! Turns out that even if you're not physical Israel, you are now what? Spirit or adopted Israel, right? Heir to all the physical blessings, but also the spiritual blessings and the covenants made by God to the fathers, okay? So in other words, in, an, in essence, being... Gentiles helping Israel also turns Gentiles into Israel. Got a goal, okay? And the covenant is restored. And and where in the world can we find? And so 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 I'll go all the way back now. When we were talking about the fact that there was an Old Testament with old covenants and a New Testament with new covenants. Where in the world can we find a record of a Old Testament Jewish people that believed in a Christ to come? Where in the world can we find the Jews who believed in Christ and the record of them? The Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is the bridge between the Old Covenants and the New Covenants. It's a mix of the promises that were made there and the, and the mix of the promises that are made in the New Testament. They, are, they become one in the Book of Mormon. And we get it, and they get the seal of approval in 3 Nephi when, when Christ himself comes and fulfills that covenant. Okay? How's that? Okay? Breathe? Okay? Yeah? I'm sitting here... I'm thinking that that word fullness keeps resonating, you know, in the latter days that Joseph Smith was so paramount in the organization and restoration of not all, all not only all things, but the fullness. How many times have we heard that word from the prophets in latter days? Yeah, that the fullness becomes, in other words, we're not full. And the, and the purpose is not only the temples being restored and all the ordinances, but of the... Of the absolute necessity of Jesus Christ at the center of all of this. Another testament. And in fact, isn't it interesting, uh, and another, I wish, I wish I'd said this, but another scholar before me said that, in the Christian world, it all leads, here is like, it, it all leads right here to Christ. He's kind of the end. In our understanding, Christ becomes the fulcrum. He's the, it's like there's this balance here. Here's all the promises of the Old Testament, Here's all the promises of the New Testament, and he's the mediator of both. He came in the median of time and brought the fullness. Okay? Really kind of cool. Okay, now, um, so let me add one more piece to this, just from a historical standpoint. Uh, oh, I like, and 12. And he will bring them out of captivity, and they'll be gathered to the lands of their inheritance. Nice. Okay, um, and they should be brought out of obscurity and out of darkness, and they shall know that the Lord is their Savior, their Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel. Now, if you go back to the title page, and I'm not going to take time to do it, the title page exactly says that. The purpose of the Book of Mormon is so that Jew and Gentile 
will know that Jesus is the Christ and that the remnant of the Lamanites will come to know the promises made. Covenants and promises. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's the convincing of the Jews. It's the convincing of the Jews. Yeah. Because there's the, there's the battle, right? It's not just... I'm not sure that I ran into any Hasidic Jews that are ready to like, let's sit down and talk about Jesus. <laughs> They're just not there yet. Okay? But I want, but I want you... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so the whole missionary push that they're giving and that they gave in this conference is to fulfill this covenant, our duty up to this covenant. Isn't that cool? Yes. And the tool to do that is the Book of Mormon. That's right. The tool to do that. Okay. One other thing I want you to see. But... Uh, but uh, the uh, first Nephi uh, has been separated by Orson Pratt. He, he separated first Nephi and second Nephi when he was organizing these things. And really, the end of first Nephi flows right into second Nephi. But an interesting thing happens. Um, and, and, and let me set it up this way. And again, another, another scholar before me came up with this idea. But picture for a second that uh, we, take, we take all of us here and it's like, you know what? We're going to get to go uh, colonize Mars. So we're going to take this group right here. We're going to put you on a spaceship. And we're going to fire you off to Mars. And you get all ready. And you get all set. And off you go. And somewhere between here and Mars, we get a message that says... Um, this will be the last message you hear from us uh, because Earth was just destroyed by a meteor. So instead of being like this, this intrepid band of settlers who are an extension of what's going on on Earth, Earth has ceased to exist and now you're it. You are, uh, you are humans representative in the cosmos. That'd be a little shocking. All the history, all the records, all the libraries, all the things that you ever knew about Earth, all the, all the places to go visit, all the beautiful places of Earth, they're all gone. And, and mankind's hope is in you on your way to Mars. That'd be a little, little shocking. Go to, first, go to second Nephi 1. Look at Lehi. He also spake to the Laman and Lemuel concerning the land of promise which they had now obtained and how merciful the Lord had been in warning us that we should flee out of the land of Jerusalem. Then he says, For behold, said Lehi, I have seen a vision in which I know that Jerusalem is destroyed. And had we remained in Jerusalem, we also would have perished. But they're not going to believe him. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But, said he, notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land and promise, a land which is choice above all other lands. Okay? So what it really means in reality, whether they believe it or not, is that now the Jerusalem that they have known, the land that they have known is now gone. The, the history, I mean, th think about those that are in, 
in Kiev and they're talking about the bombing that's coming from Russia and they're going after historical sites and things like they're erasing the memory uh, that's part of the the destruction that's happening over there you know and and to a certain extent that was going to be the Babylonians intent too we're not just going to capture you and take you back to Babylon we're also going to do what destroy the temple we want we want to stamp this thing out the Romans had the same idea you guys keep driving us nuts. Destroy the temple. Get rid of the thing that they hang on to the most and wipe it out. And, and Lehi just informed you, by the way, we're it. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's happening over there, but all of that city that you remember and everything is now gone. And we're it. And we have obtained a land of promise, which the Lord God hath covenanted with me should be a land of inheritance for my seed. Uh, yea, because this is what the Lord does. He covenants. Yea, the Lord hath covenanted this land unto me and to my children forever, and, all those, and also all those who should be led out of other countries by the hand of the Lord. This is going to be a place of refuge. Okay. Yeah. Thinking about you had your two, you had your charge book. Mm -hmm. What should have what the prophets believed and what the Jews believed in the first century. Um, our promised land is not necessarily a designated place, is it? No, it's not, is it? And and the Lord can designate another place if He needs to. That's right. And I'm thinking. This is an experience we have. When I first joined, well, I have. When I first joined the church, I, maybe you've heard me say this, it was 1969. On the, uh, it was basically at the University of Illinois, and there were a few townies, but basically there were professors and students who came from that place out west. Utah. Yeah, that other place, yeah, yes. And uh, they made, you know, you can be a good member here, but if you want to be a happy member, you really need to be there. You need to be back in Utah. Yeah. That's right. Well, okay, <laughs> then fast forward a few years, we getting temples built all of these places and I think they are oh, great point places for the members to have loyalty to where they live we were we used to go a lot to the Fort Collins temple because I had a son at one time who lived there and we would he'd be at work when we go to the temple right well they don't have a cafeteria there and we don't have them anymore and I made a lunch for us and left it at home they were so nice to us because we still wanted to do more ordinances. They went out, they ordered or went out and got something at Chick-fil-A and we got to eat lunch with them in their little room. They were the ordinance work. It was very obvious. They came from different places, but they were so loyal to the Fort Collins Temple. Yeah. This was, this, this, you know, this, this becomes our land of promise, right, right here. This is the best and on and on and on. And I thought, this is what Besides making it easier for members to go to the temple, it's making people realize they can build Zion anywhere. Yeah. And we kind of have to get at, that's why we have to kind of get over the idea of the land thing in terms of the spiritual thing, because ultimately it's about an eternal inheritance. Anyway, it's not a land thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the Abrahamic covenant is the same covenant that God made with Adam, only he didn't give Adam that land, he gave him different land. Yes. Same yeah. That's a pretty good land grab when you can just haul that thing up there, yeah. It's the same covenant he made with Noah. And then Noah ended up not having any land for a long time. <laughs> you know, but the covenant 
The land is a minor part of the covenant. It is. And, and, and le- unless that, that part of the covenant has been lost to you. The seed, the eternal seed, yeah. the blessing of all the, the children of the earth, that is the part of the covenant that really matters. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? All right. Uh, any other comments on this? I mean, I realize, that, again, I, I, I took you deep today and you went with me. Thank you. At the end of World War II, basically the Christian nations had won. And so they assigned Jerusalem and that area yeah. to the Jews. Yeah, they kind of carved it up a little bit over there. Right. And the Arabs have never been, they weren't consulted. Sometimes when that land designation runs across, runs contrary to what you believed or what you thought or what you think should happen, um, and 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 it's a hard thing. We were uh, as we were traveling up to uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi, up in the Upper Galilee, um, we were going actually up through the Golan Heights, which at the height of the '67 war was quite a place. And there's still there's still fences and everything because there are mines in there don't you know don't it's, this is a really beautiful place just don't cross over the fence <laughs> and go over there because we think there are still hidden mines because that's where the Syrians were going to come down off of the Golan and so anyway it, so it, it but it's not about protecting land anymore I, so I, I guess as much as anything I, I want to wrap up by saying this uh, the Book of Mormon is the bridge it's the bridge between uh, ancient covenants that were made and new covenants that are being made. It's the ancient, it's the bridge between the promises made to the ancient patriarchs and the blessings that he's promising to the Gentiles going forward. And, and the blessing and the promise that anyone who accepts God is going to be part of the, the blessings of Israel. And Paul, bless his heart, Paul spent, you read all the way through Hebrews and Romans especially, he keeps trying to say God is going to bless uh, all people. And if you are a Greek or if you're a Roman and you accept Jesus, you get all the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You, you have available to you those covenants. And this is why, and then the Jews in the synagogues in Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica would like beat him up with a rod. Don't be saying, these are our promises. Don't be giving our promises to somebody else. And he says, yes, yeah, but if they accept Jesus, they are part of all of that. It's a covenant. No, it's not. It's ours. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, I think we have this greatest understanding. Our job as Latter-day Saints is to, as we teach the gospel to others, is to help them see the bridge and see that we are all covenant people. We are all covenant Israel. And that all of those promises from the preexistence and to Abraham are ours. And they, are, and they are available to anybody else who might accept the gospel. I bury my testimony that, this, that the kingdom is about covenants. It's about promises that the Lord will keep. And that it's our job to be able to fulfill those. Uh, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Corey, can we have a closing prayer from you?